This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. A new shocking poll in New Hampshire shows Michelle Obama in the lead for president. The new G7 controversy where Trump is going to host the G7 at a Trump hotel. Is this a problem for him? And CNN analyst April Ryan was slated to be the moderator at a Pete Buttigieg fundraiser. Huh? And a flashback to Biden's top spokesperson saying there should be no white people leading the Democratic Party. Andrew Yang gets a super PAC. The question is, is he going to shut it down? And Hillary Clinton attacks Tulsi Gabbard as a Russian asset and spins out of control against the Republicans. I'll break all that down on this episode of The Thomas Cut. Welcome back to The Thomas Guide. I'm John Thomas, your political strategist. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday afternoon. Oh boy, I, there was a bunch of news that I didn't get to this week. So I want to end the week kind of doing rapid fire stories that were on my mind. First, there was a shocking poll that came out in New Hampshire that showed uh, it first measured everybody running for president on the Democratic side. And it showed what many other surveys are showing, which is Elizabeth Warren with a with a lead over Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders uh, in New Hampshire. That's about where Warren is, um, give or take. But then they threw in the mix of other names, uh, such as Bob Iger from Disney and Michelle Obama. And what they found was Michelle dominated the survey as a far and away first place choice uh, among everybody. So the question is, this is going to field speculation uh, or fuel speculation that Michelle's going to come in and bigfoot everybody because the, the cast of characters is weak. Joe Biden is imploding. There's a reason that Barack Obama hasn't endorsed is because his wife's going to jump into this primary. I don't think so. It's unlikely, even with name ID of somebody like Oprah or Michelle Obama in a Democratic primary, simply because the money has already placed bets or the organization isn't in place. Um, and you're we're talking with between Oprah and Michelle. They're really not political figures. Well, Michelle is, but she's never run for office. And to go out of the gate to run for president is a completely different exercise than being first lady. So it's highly unlikely uh, these polls crack me up because they're really just favorable, unfavorable tests of name ID at this point, because the candidates really have it messaged. Um, I think with some, maybe the top tier candidates that have been running, their messaging is starting to sink in. Uh, but by and large, the candidates, especially the, the ones like Bob Iger, who by the way, was dead last um, and Michelle Obama, uh, it's just trading on name ID, name ID. That's that's all that's going on. All right. Today, there was a bit of controversy when uh, 
Mick Mulvaney, who is the White House chief of staff, held a held a wide ranging press conference and announced that the upcoming G7 conference will be hosted at a Trump hotel. And the question is, is this a violation of the emoluments clause uh, stating that the president can't personally profit from his office? Uh, and it's it's this is what the Democrats have been barking about, quite frankly, for the last thousand days since Trump took office is that Trump is personally profiting. He's getting rich off of this. Well, newsflash, he's already rich. You can argue about how rich, but he's already rich. Uh, that that uh, receipts are up at the Trump Hotel in D.C. because so many people go rent rooms there, like foreign dignitaries and else, and they're buying favor with Trump. First of all, you can never prove it. It's just one of those things you can't ever know. I would argue that buying a room or two or even a bank of rooms at a hotel um, to buy influence at that level, presidential level, costs a hell of a lot more than buying a few nights at a hotel. Uh, if, if you wanted to get access to the president, it's just a hell of a lot more expensive. So just from a practical speaking matter, it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. Um, Mulvaney, the chief of staff, explained during the press conference how it came about that they selected the Trump Hotel. And according to Mulvaney, that President Trump wasn't even involved in that discussion, that Mulvaney and others uh, were sitting around trying to figure out where to where what facilities are qualified to host the uh, to host the conference. And the. Mulvaney reflected back on a few years ago when the G7 was hosted at Camp David, which is where a lot of people said it should be hosted. But I guess Camp David didn't have the facilities. Uh, it was miserable for reporters. It was miserable for attendees because the rooms were outdated. The food stuck, uh, stunk. Uh, it was hours from an airport. So it was just hard to get to. And everybody was miserable there the whole time. So they wanted to go to a state-of-the-art facility that was perfect for this facility. And of course, that's how they came to look at this Trump resort, uh, which is in fact completely qualified to host the G7. So apparently the decision was made before they even got to Trump. Now, here's the thing. Is it illegal for the G7 to be hosted there? No, I don't believe so. Especially if Mulvaney's process is in fact the process they chose. Uh, that Trump didn't put a mandate that you will do this and you will pay such a rate. But it is an optics problem for the president. And for that reason alone, I would have steered the president clear of allowing, I, in fact, I would have banned the event from my resort simply because I didn't want the appearance of an impropriety to even be in the question. Uh, or I didn't want to, I didn't want to have that, that conversation. Um, but look, this president is bold. He doesn't give a rip. <laughs> if, he, if he thinks he's right, that's it. Uh, he doesn't care. But from a communication standpoint, I think that was a mistake. So what did the Trump campaign do later today on this Friday? Or, or the Trump organization? Uh, or actually, the White House. They came out and said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we told you that the president wasn't involved in the process. We told you that the president doesn't, isn't trying to make a profit on this. It just is the right venue. So the Trump Hotel, uh, Trump Resort agrees to do the event completely at cost with no profit uh, to remove the profit margin. So we're going to give everybody a break. Now, they didn't say what 
the cost is, but they said it would be a cost. I actually think that's a pretty good consolation. I think that's fair. Uh, now you're going to have a lot of reporters that are going to try to dig around going, well, oh my gosh, you're going to try to catch the Trump people in, in, a, in a lie. Oh my God, you made money on dry cleaning. You said you were doing a cost and you, and you made money on dry cleaning. You know, how dare you? Or you made money on valet parking. You know, you're a liar. Impeach him. This is why you shouldn't have done it in the first place because the president will never have a win on this issue. I think their updated response was in fact the best thing that they could do given the circumstances. You don't want to retreat and pull the conference because it looks like an admission of guilt when in fact the president and his team think they did nothing wrong. So that's that a uh, little bit of foresight I think could have avoided this. But again, the Democrats and the media are going to make a much bigger deal out of this than need be. Next issue, CNN analyst April Ryan uh, was slated to moderate a Pete Buttigieg fundraiser. Yes, you heard me right. A reporter, a senior reporter from CNN was going to be the moderator at a Pete Buttigieg fundraiser. And people started to get outraged, rightfully so. So uh, I guess there was, there was a big outrage. And then, of course, uh, April Ryan retracted and, and pulled out of the event. In fact, even Pete Buttigieg uh, put out a, a poster. Uh, it says, uh, please join us for a grassroots fundraising event with Mayor Pete Buttigieg featuring Pete for America's senior advisor, Jessica, Jess O'Connell and Brandon Neal with April Ryan. This is in D.C. selling tickets anywhere from $15 for a student to $500 per head. Uh, this was this issue blew up and April Ryan put a tweet saying, I agreed to interview Pete Buttigieg this weekend. The campaign was not clear that the venue would be a fundraiser. We will be rescheduling the interview to a more appropriate time and place. Looking forward to asking him the tough questions the audience wants to hear. Look, this is just a PR spin. I can tell you verbatim that April Ryan is a complete and utter left-wing partisan masquerading as a journalist. Not only you can see that in her coverage, but I sat on a panel with her last year in Los Angeles at the convention center at Politicon the convention for kind of political junkies. And I be we got into heated, heated disputes over uh, racism and the bias. Uh, we ended up, I ended up going after her. Gosh, I wish I had a clip there, but I, 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 I don't think I recorded it, but I went after her over the bias of the mainstream media, particularly against Republicans and President Trump. And I cited several examples and she got up, stood up and started screaming uh, at me about about this. And in, in essence, showed her own bias and how Trump is a racist and he's a bad person and just going on and on. Everybody in the room could see like the lady lost her temper. This is personal for her. Her her partisan bias is personal. Um, there's no question that she's pulling for the Democrats to win. There's no question that she doesn't want Trump to win and that she hates Trump and she doesn't like Republicans. It just oozes out her pores. You can see it in her coverage. You can see it in her tweets. And she doesn't quite frankly, even masquerade or she doesn't even pretend that it's not the case. 
Uh, but then she got caught with her hand in the cookie jar that she's literally appearing at a fundraiser on behalf of Pete Buttigieg. Now, did she realize that it was a fundraiser? Maybe, maybe not. But I'll bet you anything, if she didn't think it was a fundraiser, she thought this was a workaround where she could use her celebrity to help Pete Buttigieg to make a spicier event to help get Pete Buttigieg coverage. That's, I think, what this is about. Because if she wanted to actually cover Pete Buttigieg as a, as a journalist, she works for CNN. She could have worked with CNN to do a podcast, to do, do a one-on-one sit-down interview, do a town hall. At least that wouldn't have been so ham-handed. But April Ryan, I think, is one of April and Don Lemon. Um, and uh, there's a, a former CIA uh, analyst, I'm, I'm, and, and I, their legal, uh, oh gosh, their legal analyst, I can't remember his name. Uh, are some of the worst in terms of partisan bias. I mean, it's really pretty extreme. And now it's just like they don't even care. They're appearing at fundraisers. So I want to flash back to this clip uh, of Joe Biden's top, top spokesperson, Simone Sanders, um, who is saying about a year and a half ago, that there should be no white people leading the party. And I want to break this down, so let's hear what she has to say first. Office staff, look, I think Keith Ellison is great. I have worked with him. He is amazing. He is a fighter, and he's committed to the issues. But Howard Dean? Howard Dean, you know, Howard Dean was there for that 50-state strategy, but here's the issue. Howard Dean is also on record maligning young people and millennials, telling those Bernie folks they just need to get in line and maligning Bernie Sanders. And that is not what we need. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. The Democratic Party is diverse and it should be reflected as so in our leadership and throughout the the staff at the the highest levels, from the vice chairs to the secretaries, all the way down to the people working in the offices at the DNC. I think we need to have a robust discussion about this. And I think we need to hear more from all the candidates. Ah, so interesting. They, they don't need more white people. Now, Simone Sanders is African-American. She was a CNN commentator for a year or two. Uh, got a lot of airtime. And now she is the, I don't think she's the comms director, but I think she's the senior spokesperson for the Joe Biden campaign. So interesting what's changed there. I wonder why it is that she thinks that there shouldn't be any white people uh, leading the party or at high levels. Yet now she's working for the probably one of the whitest candidates of the entire field when she, in fact, could choose, could have chosen to work with somebody who wasn't white, uh, but she didn't. And wonder why that is. Oh, because they paid her and probably because at the time she believed that Joe Biden was probably going to be the winner. It's amazing how people put aside their beliefs. And just put their paycheck ahead, and it's all in a pursuit of access and power. Uh, it's just, oh boy, I wonder how she's going to walk that one back. Or if the, you know, the problem is the Biden campaign really can't fire her because they'd be lip empowering her to then hurt Joe Biden uh, potentially with the African American bloc, which is really his only saving grace at this point to keep him in the game. So. They're kind of damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. So they're probably going to force her to put out a generic statement, something probably to the lines of if I were writing it saying, you know, 
in the field of all these candidates, no one has done more than Joe Biden for the African-American community. And he's by far the best choice because he's lifted up the African-American community. He represents the African-American community. He was number two to our first African-American president. Probably some BS spin that they'll, they'll put out. But uh, this is uh, definitely awkward. So this next story is interesting to me. Uh, Andrew Yang just, uh, it was announced that a new super PAC called Math PAC uh, is, is announced. It was formed. It's planning to spend over a million dollars to back Andrew Yang's campaign for president. Um, but, and it's actually backed by a, a like a legitimate uh, political consultant who used to be, I think, the a senior advisor or senior consultant to the Texas Democratic Party. Uh, but here's the catch. Um, well, first of all, the group expects to have a seven-figure budget and to do both paid media and voter outreach on Yang's behalf on early primary states. A couple things here. First of all, they expect to have a seven-figure budget. That means they don't have any money in the account. That means that they've opened up the account. There's no money in it. We'll see if they actually uh, get any dollars in it. But what's interesting about this is Yang has campaigned on uh, getting rid of 100% of super PACs, that outside money is corrupt money, it's, it's dark money, it's bad for politics, it's unhealthy and poisonous for the system. Yet a Yang spokesperson had no immediate comment to Vox.com. Um, so uh, wonder what Yang's going to do. First of all, it's a little tricky because outside super PACs aren't controlled by the candidates. So legally, Yang can't shut it down. But Yang can certainly be out within three minutes of this group being formed denouncing the super PAC. That doesn't take a lot of calculus to figure that one out. But why are they not? They're not making a statement because they're coming up with a way to, this is speculation, but this is what I think. Yang is just conveniently giving doublespeak. He wants the money, okay? He wants the air support. Uh, and it's easy for him to, to uh, disavow super PACs because he didn't have the promise of having any real money put in his bank account that way. So he said, of course, he wants to get rid of it because it's a good Democratic talking point. It's like in campaigns when you, uh, you probably have seen where somebody will say, I take a, you know, campaigning is so dirty and so nasty and I think we need to be better than that. So I'm making a pledge, a no negative campaigning pledge. I will not say anything negative about my opponents whatsoever, because I think that's what's wrong with campaigns. Amazing when they say that. Typically, the ones that say that is a strategic move because they are comfortably in first place. And they know that if they, if they block everybody and make them meet to that candidate by not going negative, they will never get pulled down below first place and keep going, cruising, cruising, cruising. Um, so it's really a strategic play, but whenever, whenever you see a, a candidate slipping in the polls, slipping from first place below instantly, they push that aside and they go negative. So this is just one of those things where it was convenient for Yang for, we're going to see what he does. I think what he does is he's going to disavow the pack. He's going to say, uh, I can't control it, but I don't think these packs are good. I I'll have nothing to do with it, but legally he couldn't have anything to do with it anyway. And then he's going to know that it's going to march on. Here's the, here's the reality. What's really going on here? 
the it smells to me like oh he's a former executive director this guy uh, who's who's running it for, of the of the Demo- Texas Democratic Party who's running the super PAC. I think a entrepreneurial consultant like this ED basically figured there's no super PAC supporting Yang. I probably can raise if I form this and I'm the only one. I can raise a couple million bucks and make a bunch in fees because he knows that unless he has fifty or a hundred million dollars in a super PAC. There's absolutely no way that Andrew Yang wins the nomination. So he, he, if, he's, if he's being any, any kind of honest to himself, he knows that um, this is just a money grab for the consultant. All right. Tulsi Gabbard uh, was accused by Hillary Clinton in a podcast today with David Pluff of being a Russian asset. Yes, you heard it right. Hillary was just going on a bizarre rant about Tulsi and how she's a Russian asset. And it's interesting. um, Anybody who does not tow the democratic party line, 100% is, is either a Russian asset, a racist, a homophobe. Like there's no, Oh, I disagree with their policies. It's nope, 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 nope. You have to be a Russian asset. And then Tulsi just, I mean, Tulsi lit up Hillary Clinton on Twitter. And she said, Great. Thank you, at Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a uh, concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know it was always you through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. Ooh, (laughs) shots fired. Boy, I mean, she just shredded Hillary. Uh, And it's actually smart politics for Tulsi to do this because she needs a lifeline. Her campaign's not really going anywhere. Um, she's throwing grenades and hoping to catch fire. And if she can pick a fight against the establishment and become the outsider, it's actually not a bad place for her to be. We'll see if it get, if it really moves the needle. I think what it'll probably do is get her Republican donations, <laughs> but uh, it's probably not going to change change the outcome of the race. Hillary in this uh, in this David Pluff podcast also went on a bizarre rant about how Trump and the Republicans steal elections and how they're going to do it again. You've got to listen to this clip and I'll just debunk all the BS that she says. Listen to this. Who's probably more obsessed with reelection than any president we've ever had. And they've all had a passing interest in getting reelected. Right. <laughs> but clearly putting pressure on our allies. I mean, I'm, do you think there's a chance that they could perfect this in this election cycle? And what do we do about that? I think they are perfecting it as we speak, David. You know, I've told all the candidates I've spoken with and I've spoken to. I mean, there's so many of them, but I think I've spoken <laughs> to a majority of them. I've said, look, you could run the best campaign. You could have the best plans. You could get the nomination and you could lose. Because of four factors. Number one, voter suppression and purging. Uh, we need to marry those up because people don't understand the many millions of voters who were purged between 2012 and 2016, and the purging goes on. The theft of material through hacking, cyber warfare, and then the weaponization of that information. 
the actual propaganda on social media, you know, the phony news studios in Macedonia and Ukraine and St. Petersburg that are pumping phony stories about me dying and Pope Francis endorsing Trump on a, you know, hourly basis. And people believe it because they've been able to get enough data points about enough Americans to be able to profile those who would be vulnerable to hearing these kinds of totally uh, false stories and then actual interference in the election. You know, we we don't really know to what extent the election was interfered in because nobody will look for it. We do know that in Florida, a lot more happened than has been admitted publicly. A member of Congress, a Democrat from Florida, uh, Stephanie Murphy, wrote a really chilling piece. And uh, I think the Washington Post where she said she went with a Republican colleague to be briefed by the FBI and it was terrifying. And then the FBI said, you can't tell anybody. So we know they, you know, we know Russians were in at least four systems. We know we are really. All right. First of all, Hillary just can't admit that she lost uh, fair and square, that Trump ran a better campaign than she did and that she was rejected by the voters in the states that matter. She just can't come to grips with that. She also portrays this nefarious, oh my gosh, you know, the Trump campaign uses data and analytics to manipulate voters and tell them lies. And it's like, first of all, Hillary, you ran, you, you ran not only a crappy campaign, but the, the techniques that the Trump campaign is doing is no different than what top Democrats are doing. Okay. It's, it's no different than what, what I do with my firm. Um, it's not tricks. It's using data science. It's using polling. It's using research. It's, it's finding out where the candidate should spend the time, uh, to deploy, to talk to voters who are actually undecided. And you're not, you know, we don't trick voters. We find out what they care about and we make sure that they understand the contrast. And by extension, the Democrats can do the same thing. And they do just to make it into this. Well, it's all about voter suppression. Uh, and, uh, in fact, that whole voter suppression thing is an absolute myth. There is no, uh, there's no truth or merit to that. Um, <laughs> voter rolls, uh, get cold as they should. And quite frankly, not often enough when you see voter rolls getting cold, like here in LA County, millions of people get taken off the roster. Why? Cause they've died or they've moved. If we want to get into the problems of the system, it's that dead people vote all the time. And typically they're not voting Democrat. I mean, excuse me, they're not voting Republican. They're voting Democrat. She's absolutely delusional. She can't get over this. And, um, you know, I guess it's a, a protection mechanism, honestly, uh, that she can't get over the fact that the American people just by and large don't like her and that Trump is her president. Uh, but it's also much of the same rhetoric that Maddow and those on the left, they just can't admit to themselves and they need to spin the public and work up the, Demo you know, the Democratic partisans to think that the only way the Republicans win elections is by stealing. it. I keep asking my Democratic friends uh, when, um, if Trump wins which I think he has a good shot of doing, but there's nothing certain in life and uh, certainly not in the world of Trump. If Trump wins, I said, what is it? What are you going to blame as to why 
Trump? Like, what's the reason? I want to hear it. It's the Russians. Is it the Ukrainians? Is it the NRA? Is it, are we just a bunch of racists that everybody in the country is a racist? Like, what, what, what is it fake news? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear, uh, hear this, that they just won't be able to accept that they got beat. So those are the things I'm watching uh, on Monday. I'm going to get into Trump. The Trump campaign is going to sue CNN over their pro impeachment bias and is demanding substantial payment for that. I'm going to get into the latest on impeachment. I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about from the weekend of the Sunday shows. Thanks again for tuning in to another week of the Thomas guide. You can of course tweet me at the Thomas guide, find me on Facebook, go to the T guide.com. Uh, or another thing you can do is leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, and of course, one of the best things you can do for this, the grow this show is to, if you have a friend or two that you think would enjoy the program, please share the podcast. That's truthfully how we grow this by sharing the podcast. Thanks so much again and have a great weekend.